Welcome to NORAG Podcast, episode 10. My name is Paul Gerhardt, and for this episode, my colleague Anushka Rajay and I had the pleasure of inviting amazing guests to lead a discussion about research on the Right to Education Act and school integration in India. Anushka? Thank you, Paul. So today, our guest host for this episode is Lewis Crouch, Senior Economist of RTI's International Development Group. He will be interviewing Radhika Joshi, who has her doctorate of economics at the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore. Joshi wrote a fascinating article titled, Can Social Integration in Schools Be Mandated? Evidence from the Right to Education Act in India, which was published in the International Journal of Education Development in 2020. Crouch and Joshi discussed the results of India's Right to Education Act, which mandated integration between students of differing socioeconomic classes. How did integration affect student friendships, outcomes, and test scores. Last, they talk about Radhika's research methodology and how it could be replicated in other country contexts. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy the conversation. My name is Luis Crouch, and I am with RTI, but also a consultant to the World Bank Global Partnership for Education, Education and others. And today we're going to be interviewing uh, Radhika Yoshi, um, and I'll ask her to introduce herself for a bit, and then we'll get into the uh, into the questions and, and and the discussion. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Louis, and um, thank you very much for inviting me here today. Um, so I am an economist uh, by training, and I studied in the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore, which is where I did my PhD. And after which I've been doing a postdoc um, in the management department at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore. So let's just start with kind of a, a general summary of, of, of the research. Uh, and let's focus on the findings initially, and then maybe later on we'll discuss a little bit about the methodology, because I thought the methodology was, was quite interesting. and, and something that could be replicated in, in other countries or by other researchers. Mm -hmm. but, but let's start with, with the, the substantive findings a little bit, because that's, I think that's probably a more normal way to get into a topic. Sure. Before I talk about the findings of my study, I'd like to give the listeners a little background of the study. Um, so the issue that I am trying to look at is the issue of segregation in schools. And what we see in India is that there are two main types of schools, public schools and private schools. And there's a lot of segregation, socioeconomic segregation that we observe in these schools where the poorest of poor children go to public schools. And then there's a wide spectrum of private schools where um, the schools fees range from anywhere between 50 US dollars per year to up as high as maybe 3,000 or even 4,000 US dollars a year. And what we see across these pri private schools is that um, there, is a, there are now hierarchical clusters where the choice of school is a direct function of parents' affordability to send their child into a particular type of school. And what this means is that children across socioeconomic structures barely interact with each other. And so recognizing this as a cause of concern, as a potential threat to um, social development of children, um, 
the Right to Education Act was introduced in 2009 in India. And one of the facets of this act was that it forced all private schools in India to reserve 25% of their seats for children from economically weaker sections. And so this is one of the largest um, policy interventions which forces um, socio-economic integration within the classrooms. And I was really interested to see how this played out. Are children being able to form friendships across these different socio-economic strata? And um, how do these children fare academically? And um, that is what my study really revolved around. And what I found is that, not surprisingly, children from the quota are um, academically less strong, score lesser in test scores compared to students who were admitted without the quota. And um, the friendship ties are primarily within the groups. So children from the quota are friends with other children from the quota and uh, vice versa. But what is interesting is that we find that when children from the quota are able to form more friends, more friendship ties with children outside the quota, there is an improvement in test scores. Okay. Uh, huh. Yes. Interesting. And, and did you get any uh, inkling or, or, or actually actual research results as to whether this happened through a kind of peer-to-peer -peer learning or simply through a kind of expectations setting process? Did, did you investigate um, that or did you get a, a, an intuition about it at least? Right, so I think um, what's important to notice here is actually the, the different educational environments in different schools, um, school contexts really. So in classrooms where we really see this peer effect happening in my, uh, so I don't have a statistical answer to say, but from my own intuition, I feel what was going on was that this happened most in cases where teachers were more motivated, teachers were trying to make sure that these students who were brought in through the quota were given necessary inputs um, and helped out uh, with, uh, with their learning outcomes. And hence we see that there's more integration in these classrooms, there's more bonding among students and that that is fostering more peer effects. I see, so it may have been a kind of teacher mediated uh, peer effect, if you will. Teacher or school authority. Or I mean, school authority the, mediated. The whole academic and en uh, environment, in cases where the academic environment was more conducive to integration. Yeah. And um, the reason I say this because I had uh, four different schools in my sample and uh, in my study, and these four schools were intentionally very different from each other. So right. um, even within private schools in India, there's a lot of variation. And I, in my sample, I was able to choose a school where authorities, principals, teachers, all very motivated and believed in this mandate right. of uh, coercion, forced post, um, integration in the classroom. So the results we see in this setting, the results we see in a school where principals were just following the mandate because they had um, a requirement from the Ministry of Education to fulfill the quota. Right, um, right, right. In which case, there was automatic segregation. There was no peer um, sure. effect in the sense that there was no learning. And so I feel it's it's a lot to do with how authorities are implementing or the motivation that they have to implement. Sure, sure. Given so, it, I mean, you, you noticed 
not necessarily big positive effects, um, although some, <clears throat> uh, especially when when the school believed in in in, in the approach. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you see any negative ones? Any negative effects? I mean, you know, a non-positive effect would be that the kids sort of self-segregated. They continued to self-segregate. Um, mm -hmm. That's not necessarily a negative effect. That's just Correct. not as positive as you might have hoped. Correct. Correct. Are there any? Did you detect any negative effects? So there is there is a negative effect on the test scores of students not from the quota. So as the share of children from the quota increases, um, you see a dip in the test scores of students outside the quota, but that dip is less significant than the increase um, in test right. scores for the. Got it. Um, for the other group. And so there's so you a game. Yeah, so you could yeah. argue that it is the intended outcome of the program is right. Right, right, overall right, right, positive. Right. right. Okay. So let me um, let me move on to 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 the to the to the next question, um, which is more around the sort of the sociology of knowledge or the political economy of knowledge and kind of a, a set of related questions such as. You know, how, how did you come to do this research? Was it motivated by the government or some donors, some, some, some foreign partners wanting to know something about this? Was it just, you know, an interesting policy debate that was being had in India at the time? Or did you just yeah. sort of mm -hmm. think about it and say, hey, it'd be cool to, to, to research this? How, how did it come about? Yeah, actually, it was the last thing that you just said, that it was completely self-driven. And um, it was, so I started, um, RT came into action, the Right to Education Act, um, started being spoken about amongst policy circles a lot, sometime around 2012, 2013. And uh, that's when I did uh, a term paper as part of my graduate school coursework on social network analysis. And that's when I did a pilot study with one of the schools and asked for students to fill out friendship surveys. And this was a school, again, which had a mix of children from economically weaker sections and non-economically weaker sections. And at that point, I saw that as children grow older, um, initially in grade one or two, the segregation isn't as stark. But as children grow older, by grade seven, eight, and nine, you see two very separate divides in um, the friendship networks across economic strata. Well, that's, yeah, that's... That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that was just one school because that school had been sure. enforcing. But did you observe? Like the, did you observe the same thing when you did it when you did the larger study? So I couldn't because um, this particular school had been uh, admitting students outside, like like oh, this, uh, but for much longer. Whereas um, all the other schools, my larger sample only did it for three or four years. So my right, right. Uh, so you couldn't see the kind of yeah. I, I couldn't follow that. But, cohort, but yeah. I thought it would be a really interesting. Uh, it was actually really hard to get data from most schools. Um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's a very sensitive topic here. Nobody wants to. Um, it's complicated from many different perspectives. Yeah. So convincing yeah, yeah. school authorities to allow somebody external to evaluate them on such not really evaluate, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, you know, that, that's a good segue to to kind of the next thing that I wanted to ask, and that is, um, you know, given that it is a sensitive subject, I would think, um, 
how has the study been received uh, within India in terms of, you know, either NGOs or the press or uh, the government? Uh, yeah, what's what's been the, the reaction uh, amongst different stakeholders? Um, so there was some attention from the press and um, there is a group education economists in the Indian Institute of Management in Ahmedabad who have also worked a lot on RT and they have actually set up uh, uh, cells to facilitate admissions through the Art, uh, Right to Education Act. So um, there was a lot of uh, interest from those researchers about the findings of the study. But to be honest, uh, the paper was published last year and this was in the peak of the first wave of COVID yeah. and the announcement of the education policy, NEP in India. So I have a feeling that somewhere because of these two issues, the 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 issue of RTE has taken in general, and um, because of COVID, even the academic year admissions were done online, and it just did not read the intent reach the intended beneficiaries. Sure. Came online. Sure. sure. So, well, as you yeah. know, I, yeah. As you know, I have encouraged you to, to blog about it because I think yes. it's... <laughs> I'm sure, yes, I will. It should be, should be disseminated. Um, yes. but, uh, one uh, kind of parenthetical question, so a bit of a digression here. Um, are there any restrictions on the catchment area that, that a private school would have to serve uh, or can um, uh, kids that are in poverty or whatever the criteria may be, um, only from a designated catchment area that, that can apply to, to the private school? Or is it just any kid? Um, so there are a few, a few um, criterias, which, uh, and children from any of these criterias are eligible to apply. So the first is orphans, um, HIV or AIDS survivors, and children who belong to certain castes or tribes. So there are certain castes and uh, tribes that have been identified by the Indian government. And people who belong to these castes and tribes usually have a certificate that they say that they belong to these families and they get preference of admission into um, a quota like the Right to Education Act. And finally is the economic criteria. So if, and this varies by state. So in some states, um, the income cat category is about, so if the whole family income is less than say 55,000 rupees, which is about 700 US dollars. Um, the children are eligible to apply for admission under this quota. In other states, it's about um, say four to 5,000 US dollars annual household income. So if you fall under that cat, uh, income cap, you're eligible to apply for admission in a private school. I see. I see. And also geographic factors. So that depends on uh, by state also. It's usually within the range of three to five kilometers. So if uh, okay. you live within three to five kilometers of a school, you can apply to this particular private school. Right, 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 right. So that means that a, a school that's perceived as being good, but in a mostly poor area, might have a lot of potential clients, whereas a school that's in a very rich suburb with no poor people nearby might have a, a kind of... Uh, low demand, if you will, of, of places uh, at that school? Or, or how, does, how does that work? How do schools deal with excess demand, I guess, basically? Um, so there's a lottery system. Ah, okay. Uh, so. Okay, 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 okay yeah. good. 
All right. Well, that's, that's so. Actually, there have been cases where parents have moved houses to to be close to a school so that they could apply to get into a school. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that happens in the U.S. too because right. the US, right. we have hard what's called hard zoning. You you get to only to right. the area. So yeah, yeah. But even after all that, all of that, it's a lottery that's fairly skewed against children. So it's still a big gamble. Right, 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 right. So, so let's look a little bit into the methodology because I thought when, when I uh, when I looked at your paper, I thought that was one of the most interesting things. And even though the policy issues that this methodology gets applied in this case was around <clears throat> the issues of uh, quotas, uh, which which are themselves interesting in other countries, but the methodology could have lots of applications. Uh, to other policy issues. So can you talk a little bit about the, the network analysis that you did and how you did it and uh, what 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 are the, you know, what are the parts that a researcher may want to be careful of um, because it, it, it turns out to be harder than one might have, one might have thought. Uh, yeah, so, mm -hmm. something around the methodology and, and the sure. uh, relative difficulty uh, of implementing it. Right. So um, because I was interested in studying whether um, there's integration across these two groups, um, what I asked children to answer was a very simple friendship survey where each student writes his or her own name, grade and um, section and um, identifies five friends from the school who are his or her friends. And uh, so the problem I faced was that these children are very young. They're in grades one, two, and three, because that's the uh, largest age group, so to say, that the act has been implemented this far. Um, so with children this young, it's, you often get names of kids of student, uh, children who weren't enrolled in the same school. You don't um, understand what they have written. So, um, and the other, sort of issue was, was I wasn't able to interact with the kids directly because I didn't, um, with this, uh, the school authorities did not want to divulge too much into what the study was about, who was doing it, and what was the purpose of the study because the minute you say RTE, it's a big no. And so you really have to give them confidence that this is not about judging the school, but it's just an evaluation of the act, not the school. So uh, because I couldn't interact with the children directly, I had to send questionnaires and get them filled externally. Um, it took a while to just get children to write down five names of children. And I did two or three rounds with each school. Um, the other difficulties uh, were to map the children. So you see uh, children forming networks, but often with children across a different section, across a different grade. And then if it's up in a different grade where there are no children from the quota, then it becomes hard to um, visualize the network separately. I see, I see, I see. Now, I can't remember from your study whether you promised the school's anonymity, did you? Did you or did you yes. identify the schools? No, 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 they had anonymity. Okay. That's the only, then, yeah, that's I would the think that way. would make it easier. Um, so that's that's a useful tip is to mm -hmm. promise anonymity. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so even as soon as I got the names of the children, I personally uh, converted them, them into numbers 
and then okay. uh, proceeded with the analysis. So okay. uh, except for me, nobody saw the names and test scores or any other details of the children. I see, I see, I see. Okay. Um, so um, again, sort of staying now on, on the methodology, but also a little bit the substance. Um, you know, there, there have been other countries that have done something similar. For example, in South Africa, uh, mm -hmm. because, because they allow fees um, in, um, in, in public schools, schools, schools that are in rich areas are allowed to charge fees as a way of supplementing government money. Schools in poor areas are not allowed to charge fees so that, mm. you know, so as not to make it unaffordable to the poor. Mm. But, 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 but schools in rich areas cannot reject a child that, um, that cannot afford to pay fees. So, so in mm -hmm. a sense, there's a cross subsidy. Um, mm -hmm. In places like Chile, well, there's a voucher system. So a kid, mm. if they can gain admission to the school, they, they, they have government money to go with. Um, in mm. Colombia, they've done lotteries where they, they get um, uh, poorer kids are given access to to schools that are frequently for for richer kids, private schools that are. So, are these? Do, do you see this kind of analysis as being potentially interesting in in such situations? That's one. Uh, I'm going to give you a sort of double-barreled question here, mm -hmm. which I guess you're not supposed to do in research, but this is not research. Mm -hmm. um, and also, how? What kinds of questions, and would it be interesting to apply this methodology? in situations where you're not trying to um, establish or evaluate a, a policy, but you're just trying to understand uh, the social dynamics uh, of schools and maybe do some comparisons, um, you know, in, in, in one state versus another, in one city versus another, just, just for the sake of, you know, somewhat descriptive analysis, uh, or, you know, just there might be some cities where there is, you know, inherently, you know, tend to be kind of snobby cities, some cities that are more egalitarian. So, so I guess two questions is, uh, one, would it be interesting to apply this kind of thing in, in other countries? Um, and, you know, would you be willing to collaborate, maybe support a researcher somewhere else? And B, would it be interesting to apply this not to, to, to evaluating a policy, but just to see what is the natural variation um, in, in social networking within the schools, depending on the overall sociological environment uh, that the school is in? So to answer the first question, um, I think it doesn't really matter how the children get into the school, whether it's a voucher system or a different form of a policy. Um, I think what was interesting in all these examples that you cited, whether it's um, South Africa or Colombia or Chile, um, is that there are people from different socioeconomic backgrounds that are being forced to learn together. Um, so an analysis like this would definitely be of use um, in all policy settings, I think, um, irrespective of how the child gets into a particular school. Right, right. And yeah. uh, so, so yes, I would definitely be very interested in exploring this in um, more country contexts. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from from each other also, because 
even though um, school like the exact school may differ or a particular part of the policy may differ in the end it's about children learning in different environments different types right. of children learning together in in one classroom and that problem is universal it may be racial uh, conflict it may be children like social instead of socio economic groups there may be different races it may be religious it may be segregation based on many different factors but the issue of bringing children to one classroom and teaching them together and the challenges with that is pretty much the same across the globe yeah so, so what what about the issue of natural variation or, or variation due to uh, exogenous sociological issues like for instance i i don't know india very well but i understand that in the state of kerala um, you know, mass public education is a much older thing than in other states. So, I mean, just comparing a, a state in India where that's, you know, maybe sociologically a little bit more egalitarian than mm -hmm. other states that are sociologically more uh, steeped in sort of caste mm -hmm. uh, discrimination. Would that be mm -hmm. kind of interesting? Have you thought about that? Sure. So actually, from this particular study, even um, one of the schools in my sample is actually a, a school that is more egalitarian in that sense, because it's run by the central government. And so uh, even before this act was introduced, it had students of all um, government workers of all categories. So a cleaner's child studied in the same classroom as a high ranked officer or an academician or a professor's child. And when you mixed um, children from the quota in this school after the imposition of the Right to Education Act, you don't see any stark difference in uh, peer networks or test scores uh, because there is already an uh, equal spread in the school to begin with. And uh -huh. uh, that I think is, is very telling because uh, like you rightly sa said that uh, because the quality of education in Kerala to begin with is also better and it's a more equally divided society. The demand for admission through RTE may not be as severe as a state like Uttar Pradesh oh, or um, some of the northern states. So studying cross-state variations is also extremely interesting and there will be a lot to learn from that. Yeah, okay, well, that, that's great. And, 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 and it's, it's uh, like I said, I, you know, I find not just your substantive results interesting, but, but the methodology and it could be applied mm. in a lot of contexts. So just one last question, because we're running out of time, and that is how much easier or, or difficult is it, do you think, to do this kind of research in a federal country where the central government does not have that much power and the state mm. governments have quite a bit of power, as opposed to a unitary country where, where there's a central policy that that must be obeyed and, and, and there, you know, mm. states or provinces don't really have much power. Uh, would it be mm. easier or harder? How, how does that shake out? Mm. Depends, I would say. Um, it depends because in my experience, um, no school, no two schools were the same. So, uh, because they, they may be located in a very rich locality, another school may be um, just naturally located in an area where there is more cosmopolitan culture, there are people from different walks of life, and so there is more sensitivity to um, how 
people on the whole would react to a policy um, that forces integration. So um, what I found that rather than state or central, um, that is still a very macroeconomic picture. This was really how each school was dealing with uh, uh, how the policy was to be implemented. And in the case of India, um, there wasn't much follow up from the governments to see how the policy is being enforced. And because, yeah, so because there isn't, once this policy was mandated, um, there is no year on year or um, time to time follow up. And because of that, it really didn't make too much of a difference of whether it was a central decentralized approach or whether there was a uniform policy across states. Okay. But again, this is only because I had four schools in my sample. If I were doing a much larger sample uh, of hundreds of schools spread across the country, it would make a Big I see. I see. Well, that's that's also an interesting tidbit that that comes out <laughs> of the interview. Also, is is uh, uh, that there has not, in fact, been that much monitoring of the policy, which which we mm. find a lot in the education sector. There's a policy, and then it doesn't get monitored in, in real time. Right. Um, well, that, that's all been fascinating. Um, I, I I hope that uh, there's a lot of uh, global interest in this in this study, and. Um, uh, that that you get some some contacts uh, looking for your help, but maybe not an overwhelming amount of <laughs> contact. <laughs> no, that'll be um, that'll be nice. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yes. No, it's been a pleasure to 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 have this discussion. I think it's extremely instructive, and uh, I hope it's useful to to you and to NORAG. Definitely, thank you and, very and much for the opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you to our guests, Mr. Crouch and Dr. Joshi, for the in-depth discussion. Be sure to subscribe to the NORAG podcast on SoundCloud and keep up to date with our projects on social media at NORAG. We will see you in the next episode.